This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. If you could, could you stand with me? Um, We're going to read Acts chapter 2. And uh, before you get too settled in, I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through um, 47. And as you're turning there, the reason why we stand is because we want to stand in respect to God's word and, uh, and, and just posture ourselves in a position of listening. So as I read these short verses here, uh, remember, this is God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This text has um, some pretty significant uh, meaning in in my life and even in the life of this church. And as I was uh, preparing for this, and uh, Pastor Wayne and I were talking and praying together this morning, uh, sharing with him. I got more and more excited about uh, the meaning of this text because the first service, and we this this last uh, this last week, I, I got to spend time with the RSU kids as they did a local missions trip. And one of the days, Dana and I got to travel around with them and go to the first apartment complex we moved into when we moved to Phoenix and drive down to the first church that we worked in and kind of meet with the pastor there and and, and see where our heart was developed for the inner city. And then we drove up to just down the street on Thomas and right off of the, the 17 freeway, there's a hotel there and we met in in the Choya room for our first service. I called it the Chola room when I uh, first... Uh, ca- that doesn't matter. That's all good. Uh, no, I thought that was funny. Back in the day, you know, I could see you had to be there. Um, and then... Uh, and then we had a, a, a group there, and that first night we, t- we prayed and we read this, this section of Scripture. Um, and so it's significant for the foundation of who we were as a church, but also significant on when we replanted and became Life Connection. We went back to this text and have navigated through it. Matter of fact, our first uh, community groups were called 242 groups, uh, which sounded cool at the time, a little youth groupy for me at this point, but, uh, uh, you know, kind of take numbers and kind of figure out, uh, you know, put them together because it sounds cool. But it, it meant Acts 242. Um, the gathering of the people of God together to, uh, to do these things that they're committed to. And through the life of this church, we have used this section as kind of a, 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 a rudder, if you will, or an anchor for the kind of church that we, that we would desire to be for some different reasons. And so this 
This text, I, I think many people are familiar with, because if you look at kind of how the arc of the narrative of Scripture goes, um, you see creation, the fall, you see redemption, then you see the Spirit coming and the sending of the church, and you see this kind of continuation of God's work throughout Acts, and you see where we live as we're awaiting His return. You see this kind of narrative of Scripture, but if you kind of zoom in on the narrative of the church, you could kind of mirror this new creation, right? This new covenant or this new creation people, this would be, if you're, if you're wanting to look at it this way, this would be kind of the Garden of Eden for the church. The new created, new covenant people, this is the Garden of Eden. And a lot of people look back on Acts 2, 42 through 47 and these early days of the church, and what they're doing is like, man, it would be nice to go to that church. Like that would be powerful to be in that church, just kind of like we do when we look back and see the kind of think of the Garden of Eden where you see, you know, Adam and Eve just naked and unashamed and just this perfect environment and everything is the way that it should be until uh, the fall comes in. And then everything devastates this kind of reality. And as you look at Acts 2.42, you kind of get that sense of this new creation, new covenant, Garden of Eden. This is how the church should be. Now, we can talk about this later, but you can kind of see that narrative continue as you see the fall of this stuff starting to break apart at Ananias and Sapphira, where they start to elevate themselves. They're not being generous, and they die just like the death that was experienced at the fall. They die. You can kind of see the fall part of this and the narrative, how that continues and how this kind of stuff starts to fall apart. But inside of this text, what we can end up doing is missing what we should be extracting from this text because of how we read texts like this. So let me remind you of a couple of things. First is this. Acts is not about the apostles and the church. This is not uh, the main character of Acts. Acts is about the ministry of the resurrected Jesus being done by the Spirit through his people. So who the star of Acts is is the same star of all of, the, all of Scripture, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the star. He is the centerpiece of this community. And this resurrected Jesus has poured out his spirit upon a people. And these people, by the power and the spirit of this resurrected Jesus, are embodying this, and this is how it should look in the world. So what we do in the book of Acts as we approach this, and I hope we can see this, just like John Stott says, he says, when you see this kind of Jesus that we believe in, he is both a historical Jesus and a contemporary Jesus. He is both the Jesus who lived, and he is the Jesus who lives. Jesus is alive, church. That's where you should say amen. 
Jesus is alive, and that means everything to us as the church. Because if we believe that Jesus is alive, and the resurrected Jesus is still alive, and still at work, and still moving, and still doing his work amongst his people in this earth, that changes the way we live. If we see him as just a historical Jesus in the past, we may study him, we may look at his life, we may look at the things that he had done, and we may kind of go, oh man, those people killed him. Kind of feel bad for him. He's such a victim. And then go, man, we should be like Jesus. And we could study him as a historical figure, but the reality of the gospel is that that Jesus who was in history, who entered into this world, who lived the life we should have lived, who died the death we should have died, who paid the price for our sins, that Jesus did not stay in the grave. He rose again. That Jesus is alive and is still alive and is displaying it by his spirit through his people in the world today. Jesus is alive. So remember, this text is not just about the church. This text is about the ministry of the resurrected Jesus. Now the problem with ways we approach texts like this is we are in a results-based world. We think something is successful not based upon its process or its core commitments, but something is successful based upon its results. So when we look at a text like this, the reason we want to be a part of this church is not because of its devotion, but because of its results. So because we are so result-oriented, we look at this and what we want are its outcomes rather than its commitments. We're impressed with how many people got saved, 3,000. I mean, most pastors are preaching this because they want the 3,000, right? And they want the people being added to their numbers daily and they're impressed with its Big results. But the realities of what we should see in this text are not just its outcomes, because as you're going to see all the way through Acts, is that the outcomes are not always the same, and they're not at all under our control. We don't produce the outcomes. We don't bring the harvest. We plant we water, and only God produces the outcomes. When you look at a text like this, you could get enamored with, wow, how amazing that they're selling and then they're doing all these things and they're passing out. And look at how many people are saved and look at the excitement and we could get caught up in its results and we skip over the devotion and the commitments Second would be we look at this through a me-centric versus theocentric view, meaning we love to see things and how it applies to me. What is this and how am I the center of this text? We make stuff about man, about ourselves, rather than what God himself can do. When we look at a text like this, 
we have to see that God is the center of this and that these are very simple people who are doing very simple things, very mundane and simple things, but it is God who is doing these works through them. You see that very clearly in Acts 2.42, uh, verse 43 actually, where it says, and signs and wonders were being done, does it say by the apostles or through the apostles? Through the apostles, right? The apostles are not doing these works by their own because they're apostles. No, this is work being done by the resurrected Jesus through the apostles. And as you look at something like this, we can look at this and go, man, look at what these people are doing. They're not doing it. It's God who is working through them, which is also why it says they were in awe. Like, if you're doing it yourself, you're not going to be in awe, right? You're only going, did he just do that? <laughs> Your jaw is dropping because it's not something you are producing, but it's something that is being produced by the Spirit through these people. This is not a me-centric text. You should be overwhelmed by the very work that God can and is doing. The other thing I, I want us to be careful with as we look at a text like this, because we are so into results, what we want to do is make this into math rather than life. Meaning we want to make this equation. This plus this plus this equals this. Meaning if I do this and do this, God will do this. And so what we end up trying to find in a text like this is the equation for 3,000 people or for miracles or for signs and wonders or for the power part. If I do these things, God will do these things and we start to try to figure out a mathematical equation versus just going, what does it look like to live a life where we are committed in covenant with a God who we are so committed to and to his people and to his family that we get to watch him do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. The last thing that we have to be careful of is trying to duplicate this rather than trying to continue in the work of this resurrected Jesus. We can look at a text like this and go, how can we duplicate that here? Um, you can't. But what you can do is see how the Spirit of God has moved and how the Spirit of God is moving, and you can see the things that we should continue in and that the people of God have always been called to continue in, and we can learn to continue rather than trying to duplicate. I mentioned this on the day in which we went over the day of Pentecost because I think it's important you never saw the disciples or the apostles go back to the upper room and go, man, that was so good when you did it on the day of Pentecost. We're going to go up in the upper room. We're going to get the same amount of people. We're going to do the same thing we did there, and we're going to expect God, since you did it then, you're going to do it again now. No, you never see him going back there to try to duplicate Pentecost. 
But what happened in Pentecost propelled them to continue into this life in which God had called them into. So as we approach a text like this, here's what I want us to look at. This first word. This first word in, in, in this is that they, they did something. They devoted themselves. You see that word? They devoted themselves. That word is important because that idea of devotion goes to core commitments that they had as a people. Let me just highlight something. When we started in Acts chapter 1, and it was when they were waiting in the upper room, all of these things that they were doing in the upper room before the Spirit fell are the same things they're devoted to now in Acts chapter 2. This is not a change. Like all of a sudden they're like, we should devote to these things. No, they had been devoted to them. All of the people of God throughout all of, all of, all of, all of the story, all of the narrative, all the people of God had been devoted to these types of things. And so this devotion is a commitment to the very core commitments that we should be and what we should walk in. And so, but it also gives us something else. It doesn't mean it's new. What it means is they're devoting to something that is old and historical and a part of what it means to be the people of God, but it also means something else. It means you don't do these things by accident. You hear me? You don't just get up and do these things. You have to be devoted to this. Meaning you have to be intentional. Meaning this is not an accidental thing. It means you intentionally commit yourself and devote yourself to walking in these things. The other thing is, these are not optional things. Meaning, uh, well, there's five of them there. I think I'll just pick like two or three of them and kind of work on those two. You know, this is a lump, uh, one work. It's not like, oh, I'll just do a couple of them and hope for the same results, right? This is not optional. This is also not a checklist, and it's also not a grade sheet, Meaning, well, I'm doing, you know, three to five of them. I'm kind of above average a little bit. No, all of these things were core commitments. They were intentional works, things in which they committed themselves to. And why we're going to highlight these things is because this is the part in which shows that as the Spirit falls, there was things that they were trying to continue in, and it wasn't that day of Pentecost continuing, because that, that idea of what or duplicating, it was things that they could continue in, and those things were core commitments, and these were what they were, five things, and you can write them down, or you can just see them and underline them right there in Scripture, the apostles' teaching, or the gospel proclamation, the telling of the story, and the meditating on the story, and the hearing of the story, the hearing of the work of 
the gospel, what Christ has done, his death, burial, and resurrection, how that fits into the entirety of the story that he created all things and man has fallen and here's what, the church, here's what Israel had kind of walked in and here's how he had led his people and here's how he had promised a Messiah through the prophets and here's how Christ is the fulfillment of all of those things and the apostles are teaching these things and they are listening to these things and they are immersing themselves into the story because here's what ends up happening if we do not tell the story retell the story constantly immerse ourselves into the story we will hear louder and more often the stories of this world and be caught up in and consumed into the stories of the world around us so they would retell and hear and listen and study and listen to the apostles' teaching. Second thing is they fellowshipped. That means, hear me on this, it's going to sound very difficult. That means they got together and they fellowshipped with each other because they had a commitment to knowing others and being known by others. They had a commitment to being together. Fellowship. They didn't accidentally do that. They committed to doing that. They didn't have time to do that. They made time to do that. They didn't think is it beneficial to me to do this? They were doing it out of commitment and obedience to the Scriptures. Fellowshipping as the people of God, together, being together, is often a massive devotion and commitment and one in which many people forsake but they were committed to it. The third thing you see is breaking bread or eating together or this while they were eating, they were remembering. And, and here's kind of how people have talked through it. Is this them just sitting around a table eating food together and remembering the Lord's or is it the Eucharist? Is it this idea of drinking and eating as they come together on like we do on a Sunday? So here's, here's what I would say. You could get deep into the weeds and try to figure out it's more than likely all of it. They were committed to eating together to partaking in remembrance of the Lord's, blood, the Lord's body and blood broken for them, committed to eating and fellowshipping together at the table. They ate a lot of meals together. Fourth thing they did is they prayed. They talked to God together. They listened to his voice together. They were committed to praying, not just getting together, but praying together. Praying for one another, praying for uh, their city, praying for their community, talking to God, listening to his voice, 
running to him in prayer. And the last thing you see is they were committed to generosity. They made massive sacrifices to be invested in the community in which they were involved with. They weren't just there in just their presence, but their whole self came. Their, their money, their time, their food, their family, their ears, their hearts, they were there. Now, I would, I would venture to say this. If you have been in church at any time in your life, or if you have gone to uh, a church, many of you uh, could, could uh, recount these five things and just go, yeah, you know, being a Christian, uh, we should listen to God's word, we should fellowship with others, we should... Uh, we should eat together, or we should, you know, partake of communion. We should pray, and, and we should be generous. These things are not deep revelation to you. I, 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 if you're hearing these for the first time, um, then it could be that you haven't, you know, been around church very much, or it's something that you don't. But there are a lot of people who don't even know uh, Jesus, or even are committed to Jesus, who could tell you, like, here's what here's what the church does. These five things, I don't even think we have to pray about and go, should I do these things or should I not? Is God calling me to do these things? These are not. Let's pray about it. Let's figure it out if this is what God's calling us to do. These are rooted in the entirety of the narrative. These are rooted in the, the beginnings of the church. These are rooted in the history of the church. And they're the very things that are called into. Now, this is where I think uh, a lot of this gets interesting. Because I'll, I'll venture to say this. Most of what you need to do to change your life you already know you need to do it. I mean, I have this continually uh, happening in my life. People come and want to talk to me. Pastor, these are the things that are going on in my life. Here's the struggles that I'm facing. Here's what's taking place. And then they go, what should I do? What should I do? How should I fix this? And, and, and then the minute you start kind of trying to help them, they, they go to this. Come on, y'all. Y'all aren't with me this morning. I start talking, and immediately they go, no, 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 I know. No, I know, I know, I know, I know that. Tell me something deeper. Tell me something better. Tell me something that is going to fix it right now. Tell me something I should do. Tell me, what's the magic? Well, if you know, then why aren't you doing it? Like, if you really know, why aren't you doing it? Because the reality is, what we need to do in this room in order to really do what God wants us to do, we already know we should do it. That's, you know, that's, this example could go all the way in any corner of our lives. I have this happen all the time. It happened to me again this week. Somebody sees me for the first time after a long time, and they go, wow, well, you've lost a ton of weight. What have you done? And I even hate bringing this example up, but it happens to me every week, right? What have you done to lose all this weight? And, I, and I, I've, I've, I've gotten a little sarcastic. It, it, it's magic. 
uh, I tithed, and the Lord just, (laughs) right? Somebody late, Pastor Wayne just has an anointing on him, you know? I walked up, and he put some oil on his hands and just, you know, and just, my pants fell off and everything, right? No. The reality is, all of my life, for 30, 38 years before I started, all of my life, I knew what I had to do. I knew. What's the magic? It sounds a lot like the magic here. It sounds like you need to be in fellowship. It sounds like you need to eat the right things. It sounds like you need to hear and listen to the right things. And it sounds like you need to depend upon God. And it sounds like you need to to walk and live and exercise and live these things out. It sounds almost exactly the same. It's the very things that we know that we should do, but we're still trying to find another way because these seem too easy. Too easy. And so even looking at a text like this, we, in like every other person, look at somebody who has the results that we want, and we want their results without their commitments. We don't want the commitments. We want the results. But here's what you have to see. These things that they were doing were very simple things, very mundane things, very ordinary things, but it was God who was doing miraculous, powerful, and uh, uh, awe-inspiring things. And here's the attitude that you see them walking in. Just look at this. One, when their devotion, here's how they were walking. They're doing these small devoted things, and this is how he describes the, the thousands of people. They were in awe, basically jaw-dropped by all God was doing. They were together, means they, they were in unity together. They were not trying to seek their own individual fame and their own power. They were glad, meaning they were thankful. They were just blown away that they got to be a part of it, and they were generous. They were not hoarding it or keeping it. Everything that they had received, and everything they were giving it away, and they were dispersing it to others. And a lot of people look at a church like this, and they immediately move into critique mode. Man, if there were just churches like this today, if there were just people... Today, who are like the modern church, they only really care about shows and lights and, 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 and sound systems and money. This is all they care about. And all of a sudden, we move ourselves from, uh, from, from this, this, this uh, place of being in the church to the place of being a critic who we stand on the outside of the church and critique the church, constantly throwing fire and spitting fire and wept, throwing weapons at it. And believe me, listen, I look at the, the, the state of the, especially the American church, and I could throw as much fire as anybody else. But the reality is it takes no wisdom, no discernment, and no power of the Spirit to throw darts at the church. But you barely find people 
who are just saying, listen, if I want to see this reality in my own life and in the community that I am, I've got to commit myself to extraordinarily simple things and be devoted to a life where I can see and experience God's spirit. Because here's the reality. There's a lot of people who just attend this church who would look on the outside and would say things like, man, we just, I just wish we could see these kinds of things. And, I, and, and every time I hear it, I just go, the reason you're not is because you're not involved. There are, did you know that there are so many people in this church who are so committed to loving God's word, who are taking classes, who are going to Bible studies, who are personally reading their scriptures, who are going through counseling, who are taking seminary classes, who are weekly meeting with other men and women to be discipled. They love God's word. They're going through surge, and they're, they're learning about the narrative and the story. They love God's word. Did you know that there are people in this community who are committed to fellowshipping. It's not like they have the time. It's not like they're, 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 they're not busy. It doesn't mean they're not doing anything, but they've committed themselves to showing up with the same group of people every week. Young, old, black, white, Hispanic, brown, whatever nationality, uh, whatever age, whatever gender, people getting together, kids running around, sharing life, dads praying with dads and moms praying with moms and kids making noise and there's fellowship happening all over this church every week. Did you realize that there are people in this church every week that are serving hundreds of meals? Do you realize hundreds of meals are being eaten this week? In every RC, we eat together. There are apartment complexes that we go and eat with those in apartment complex. There's dinner with the city. There's breakfast with the city. There are people eating with people nonstop. If you looked at the amount of meals that were being eaten in this church, your mind would be blown. But, oh, no, that's not a miracle, people eating meals together. Did you realize that there are people, when they get sick, that there are families putting meal trains together for them? When babies are born, there are meals being delivered. There are people eating together nonstop. There is fellowship and breaking of bread. Every week we're partaking of communion. And there's so many people who go, man, I just wish we prayed more. The reality is it's not that we're not praying more. You just don't see the hundreds of hours of personal prayer. How there's prayer in every small group, that there are moms moms and dads praying together. There's open phone lines where people are calling each other and praying for each other. There's women's prayer and men's prayer and corporate prayer and times of praying together. There's nonstop prayer being happening as people are walking through pain and needing counseling where we could just surround them and pray for them. Do you realize the amount of prayer that is taking place? There's generosity that's happening that not only are people giving of their tithes and offerings. They're supporting learning centers. They're, they're paying for meals out of their own pocket. They're paying for their all of, uh, uh, they're paying as they see needs in other families. They're pool, pooling resources and paying doctor's bills. There are non-stop 
prices that are being paid by families who are more than just giving financially into an offering plate, but are giving of their whole resources for the sake of the community. And it is those people who are doing those extraordinarily simple things who are with me standing in awe of the miracles that God is doing in this place. Because what I see as I have given myself, my family, my life, as others see, we stand in awe. Why? Because I've literally watched those who've been addicted to drugs and walking on streets as members of this community, serving others and being a part of the family. I've seen people come from uh, bondage into freedom. I've watched families who should be divorced be reconciled. I've seen drug addicts come into healing. I've seen people who are sick and we've laid hands and they've been restored. I've watched God's power be providing for people who are having financial difficulties. God is moving by his spirit and in power and I am in awe of what God can do. I am in awe of what God could do and the reason why is because I've been able to take a front row seat to God's movement by his spirit through his people as I've got to witness it. And the reality is, it's not that we shouldn't be in awe of what God is doing. It's that we're not taking a seat, rooting it on, because we're doing our own thing, complaining about how this church doesn't exist, and we are not committing ourselves to the very things that will enable us to watch God move. You see, when you devote yourself to God's plan and you let God bring the results that he wants, what you're going to see is God's spirit moving in powerful ways, however he wants. Whether he gives or takes away, whether he heals or whether he disciplines, whatever God does, we get to have that front row seat. And these people got to witness Miracles. Church, I, I will tell you this. The ones that spend the most time complaining could receive a completely different perspective if they would just do the very simple, mundane things of immersing themselves in Scripture, of eating and fellowshipping with people and of being generous by giving stuff away rather than hoarding. These commitments are not just suggestions. They're not just byproducts. They're, they're essential for the health and the life and the beauty of what it means to be the people of God. And I will, I will say this. I have never been more in awe of what God could do than at this time. Do you realize how much God is moving in this community? And it has nothing to do with me, with the elders. It has nothing to do with the deacons or the leaders. It has something to do with the group of people that we call members. I don't want to make a huge deal out of this, but I, I do want you to know that often we look at pastors and preachers and teachers and we see 
that, but we don't realize that there are people in this church who have not just said, hey, I'm attending, but have made themselves members. They give time, money, resource, fellowship, weekly commitments. They continue to serve, and they have made themselves members of this community. And it is us who have gone beyond just kind of the show and are wanting to live the life of the community together who are being able to witness God's power. This week I sent a letter, or Pastor Wayne, I sent a letter out to members if we had your information. If we didn't, then you need to talk to Pastor Wayne because uh, we all don't have your info or you got changed or something. But if you are a covenant member, not just an attender, but if you are a covenant member of this church, will you do me a favor and just stand for a moment because I want to thank God for, for all of you. I just want you guys to know that as you have committed yourself to us and to this community and made yourself a covenant member of this church, that uh, you have been able to witness things that are powerful. And I want you to know I'm with you. I stand in awe every day of God's power and grace through us. I know we didn't do it ourselves, but I will say this. Let's remain thankful, and let's remain humble, and let's continue to commit to the very things that God's called us to. And church, if you're not one of the covenant members that is standing here with, here's the thing. It's not a secret group that you can't get involved with. The door's open, and it's always, it's always been there. There's an easy link even online to find out more about how you can become a member, or you can talk to Pastor Wayne, but I would encourage you this. If you like it, you should put a ring on it, right? <laughs> uh, you should get involved. I would ask, was, as the members are standing, that we all stand together, and then Pastor Wayne is going to come and lead us in a time of, of communion. Let's stand together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.